Hello everyone. Do you like reading? Do you like walking? Do you like thinking about your life? Then we have got something for you. Our Common Ground Pilgrimages are going to be announcing our slate of fall and winter 2020 pilgrimages on March 2nd. So if you sign up for our newsletter at readingandwalkingwith.com, you will be the first to know when registration launches and only people on our newsletter will get 30 minutes early registration access and it's first come first serve. So signing up first might mean the difference between getting a spot or not. There's less than 20 spots on each pilgrimage and one of them might be involving me and a book that we all love. So you're talking about you leading a pilgrimage with he's just not that into you? A hundred percent, yeah. <laughs> oh my God, I'm there. So that's readingandwalkingwith.com. Sign up to the newsletter. Be the first to know about our pilgrimages this year. Hi, friends. It's Casper. We've come to the end of season three and we're very excited about starting season four, Goblet of Fire. But just as a little special thank you for all of you for listening and for so many of you for coming out to our live shows this summer, we wanted to share with you the audio from our DC live show back in July. You'll hear a little bit of editing here and there and you'll also hear from Scott Perlow, the rabbi who who wonderfully introduced us to Pardes back in season two. So we hope you enjoy the show and we'll see you soon. Chapter 17 Cat, Rat and Dog Harry's mind had gone blank with shock The three of them stood transfixed with horror under the invisibility cloak The very last rays of the setting sun were casting a bloody light over the long-shadowed grounds. I'm Casper Terkyle. And I'm Vanessa Zoltan. And this is Harry Potter and the Sacred Text, The The Live Live Show! Hello, everyone! Hello! Hello! Whoa! (laughs) Hi! This is exactly what I expected when I went to divinity school. <laughs> this is it. Hello, DC. We're so Hi. glad to be here. Um, thank you so much for having us, and welcome to Sixth and I Historic Synagogue. Who is here for the first time? Welcome, welcome, Ooh. welcome. We're so glad you're here. Who ha- loves the Harry Potter books? Okay, pretty solid. Okay, time for bravery. Who has never read them? Well done, you. You are here. Welcome. <laughs> Wherever you've come from, we're so glad that you're here. It's been such a joy for Vanessa and I and the whole team. Um, This is our final date of our tour. And this is like a huge audience. It's a little bit scary. It's very exciting. You seem very nice. Yes. (laughs) Not too many big purses with fruit in them. So that's good. good. That's good. Less throwing possible. It's all good. (laughs) I'm the doomsday one of the two of us. So I'm like, they won't throw things. That's (laughs) check. But what you were very good at was tweeting little amusing uh, potential dates that you would go on. I think some of my favorites included Bill Weasley because he's got all the money. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Hey, that 
would be your answer too. It's true. It's true. Also, what was the other one? Um, I would go to coffee with Professor Trelawney, but not tea. That was somebody who who did that. That was really clever. I really liked um, George Weasley because he's still alive. Yeah. Oh. Wah, wah. Ah. Truth hurts, Fred. Way to go and die. You ruined your sexiness with dying. Um, we should introduce who else is here with us. Yes, we should. So, the woman who you will appreciate more than ever after tonight, when you realize how much she has to edit us, Ariana Nettleman. Um, and composer of our theme song and our musician extraordinaire, Nick Bull. So, for those of you who, who know the show well, you know we'll start with a story. Mm. And uh, today it's Vanessa's turn. Oh, so okay. So off you go, Vanessa. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, I, the theme for tonight, we will be reading the chapter uh, Cat, Rat, and Dog through the theme of trust. And so when I was told I had to tell a story about trust, what came to mind was the fact that I was a very trusting, some might say gullible, child. Very, very innocent and adorable. Um, And my family took advantage of this in a lot of ways. Um, Like there was strategy involved. There was genius involved in how my family took advantage. I'm going to say something shocking. I expect you all to gasp in a moment when I say it. I was a chatty child. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. I know. Shocking. Also shocking, my family found it annoying. especially on 12-hour road trips. So we would take these long road trips and in our minivan, and my family decided to get me to be quiet by telling me the following. My father would say, you know, Vanessa, there's actually a magical shortcut on the way from Los Angeles to Lake Tahoe. And I would say, really? And he would say, yes, but you can't see it. So you have to go to sleep, and then we can take it. And I was like, okay. So I would will myself to sleep, and I would wake up a couple hours later, and I'd say, did we do it? Did we take it? And my dad would go, vroom, yup. We just got off of it. It was amazing. And I was like, how, how much time did we save? And he'd say, two hours. I was like, how long was I asleep? He'd say, minutes. You just fell asleep. And I was like, whoa, this is amazing. So, and then, but like the real, the, the person who enjoyed this the most was one of my favorite people in the world, my grandfather, Papa. He really, I know, so cute. So cute, when I tell you the story now, you're gonna think so evil, so <laughs> evil. Um, I just went, he's 96 years old, and I was just home, um, and I visited him, and I was like, hi, Papa, and he went, who are you? Just kidding. (laughs) I was like, you're still messing with me. This is messed up. Anyway, so, and I fell for it, right? It had been a few months. I was like, oh, no. Um, So he would tell me a few things. One, One of the prolonged bits that lasted a really long time was, Um, around autographs. So we would go over to my grandparents for Shabbat dinner every Friday night. And, you know, there were like lots of cousins, lots of chaos. 
And um, my grandfather would overhear me talking about something like how much I loved Pee Wee Herman. And um, he was like, Pee Wee Herman, Vanessa, that's so funny. I just met him and I thought you maybe liked him, so I asked him for his autograph. I have it in my office. I can go get it for you. And I was like, that is amazing. Thank you, I'll come, I'll come with you. And he'd be like, no, no, it's in a secret drawer in my desk that you can't see. So I have to go by myself. And I was like, okay, and I would wait, and he would come out, and he would have Pee Wee Herman's autograph. And it took me a really long time to notice, like after he gave me Tom Cruise's autograph <laughs> and Madonna's autograph, I was like, interesting. These are always on his calendar sheets and in his handwriting. <laughs> you guys, like, years. A collection of autographs was accumulated. I am pretty sure that I could have been like, Papa, I really like Scooby-Doo. And he would have been like, Scooby-Doo, I met him this week, and I actually have his autograph in my desk drawer. And I'm, it, like, it could have been a whole, this kind of, what? It's, fu- it's funny, Vanessa. I actually, <laughs> I actually met Scooby-Doo last week. I have this Oh, my God. But the, the big one that really, like, lasted months was one, I'm pretty sure he didn't think... I think maybe he thought, even Vanessa won't fall for this, but I did. Um, One Friday night, he was like, Nessica, did you hear they moved the Eiffel Tower? And I was like, they what? And he was like, yeah, two inches to the left. And I was like, why? Why would they do that, Papa? And he was like, well, it, um, it turns out that it was off center. And you know, those French people, they're very aesthetic, and it really bothered them. I was like, okay, sure, I guess that makes sense. And so, but I thought about it, like, all week at school, I obsessed, and I went back the following Shabbat, and I was like, but Papa, like, (laughs) what was it off-center from? And he was like, the Arc de Triomphe. And I was like, oh, that makes sense. Okay, good. And then, like, weeks later, percolating back in my head, I was like, but Papa, how did they move the Eiffel Tower? And he was like, you know, actually, Vanessa, it was very complicated. They had to get a crane and lift it from above, and they had to get a a shovel, not a shovel, (laughs) tractor. He didn't think I was that dumb. Tractor and move it from below and, like, move it and put it down. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this was, like, incredible. Anyway, guys, and then, like, years go by. I, like, don't really think about it. And I, I can't remember when it occurred to me that he was an adorable lying bastard, but at some point <laughs> it did. And throughout that process, I became, like, a rigorously cynical, untrusting person. I was like, where's the proof for that? I would like... And this is, like, before Google, right? So you had to really look things up, and I became just a very rigorous, untrusting person. And I thought I had purged my gullible behaviors. However, like years go by, I go off to college. I meet a very nice young man. He becomes my boyfriend, smart man. And he, um, I bring him home to meet my family. And my family plays their favorite game, embarrassing stories about Vanessa's childhood. Right? It's a great game. It's a great game. (laughs) (laughs) And um, so obviously my brothers are like, hey, Aaron, did you know for years Vanessa believed that they moved the Eiffel Tower two inches to the left? Aaron is like, that's amazing. Like, this becomes his favorite thing in the world. 
So that summer, Aaron and I decided to go on a road trip from um, Colorado Springs to Los Angeles, from his mom to my mom. We were like, where should we stop along the way? Oh, Santa Fe. Oh, the Grand Canyon. And I was like, oh, do you know what I've always wanted to see? I've always wanted to see London Bridge. And he was like, great, that's not between Colorado (laughs) and Los Angeles, but good to know. And I was like, no, 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 not the one in London, the one in Arizona. And he was like, oh, honey, that's a papa story that you just, like, haven't purged. And guys, I was distraught. I was like, are you kidding? I thought I had become this, like, rigorous, untrusting, like, cynical person. And okay, like, I guess I I can't believe that I did that. So we had a wonderful trip. You know, we saw Santa Fe. We saw, it turns out the Grand Canyon is in Arizona, so we saw that. (laughs) Um, But do you know what we should have seen? What? Was the London Bridge that's in Arizona. (laughs) It is in Havasu City, Arizona. Some crazy person bought it in 1967 and moved it from London to Arizona. This is real. (laughs) You all doubted me. (laughs) So, obviously when we decided that we were going to talk about the chapter through this theme of trust, I thought about that. And I'm really excited to talk to you about that tonight, Casper. Thank you very much, Vanessa. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Hey, Nick. What time is it? It's time for the 30-second recap. Oh, yeah, it's time So, you know, for, for some of you, you may have done your reading, who did the reading before they came, chapter 17. Oh, good, good yes. students, Ravenclaws, all the Ravenclaws in the house. Um, you know exactly what happened in this chapter, and some of you may remember fondly the Prisoner of Azkaban. You know, you vaguely remember there's a hippogriff or something. Um, some of you maybe have never read book three, so we're here to help. Um, we, uh, we do a little thing called the 30-second recap, where Vanessa and I try to elucidate with clarity and conviction uh, everything that happened in this chapter. And uh, I think and it's... And always complete success. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, it's, you, it's... Usually when we do the 30-second recap, we don't really know how well Casper and Vanessa are doing. That's true. Because people vote online for who wins the recaps. But... And Vanessa always wins. <laughs> yeah. Vanessa always deserves to win. Okay. <laughs> but tonight we have a room full of judges... So, I have this crown. Uh. They'll do their recaps. We'll clap for who does the best job and formally award a 30-second recap king, queen, or champion. champion. There we go. Champion. Champion. Mm -hmm. Casper, are you ready to start us off? Oh, I'm going first. Okay. Mm -hmm. You look great. Oh, we've got a drum roll. Okay. (laughs) On your mark. Get set. Go. Okay, so this is chapter 17. The trio have just heard what they think is Buckbeak's execution, and there's a lot of, like, storm and drang, and then suddenly this big dog attacks them and, like, jumps over Harry and then drags Ron under the Whomping Willow through the tunnel, and Hermione's like, let's get a teacher. Harry's like, no. Um, So they go through the tunnel, and then they're there, and it's Sirius Black, and Crookshanks is, like, on a bed, chilling out. And then Lupin arrives, and it's like, I'm a werewolf, and this is Peter Pettigrew, and Sirius is like, I killed your parents. And Harry's like, no, I'm gonna kill you. And then, like, why did you do it? And Sirius just goes, I don't deny it. 
good. Uh, you know. Wow, I am like, that is unbeatable. You did so well. I just, you know. I, just... I think you guys call what I'm doing right now expectations management. Oh. Spin. This that is was what... amazing. That is unbeatable. That's what happens when you go to DC. You're like becoming this kind of lobbyist, <laughs> a little Slytherin in you. <laughs> Huh. It's in the uh, well, it's your turn, Vanessa. It is. Um, let me give you some space. Okay. Oh. oh, that's okay. Come back. I miss <laughs> well, then you. I, then I kind of am like a werewolf style. Uh, so, um, have we got the timer ready? All set. Have we got the drum roll ready? Vanessa. Yeah. Frau Zoltan. <laughs> the 30-second recap starts. Five, four, three, two, one, go! So the trio are standing there and Ron gets dragged in by a dog and Harry and um, Hermione are like, oh, we better follow him. And they go down a tunnel and then it turns out that they're in the Shrieking Shack. And they confront Sirius Black because he was a dog this whole time and Crookshanks and he are conspiring. And Harry is like, I'm going to kill you. But he doesn't know how to kill yet, so I'm not sure how he thinks he's going to do that. But he's like, I'm going to do it. And then Lupin comes and they're like, oh, you're a werewolf. I, we don't trust you at all. And Lupin is like, I, I, I am. You're supposed to tell me how many seconds oh, I have left. And that's all. <laughs> Why did you go over there? I feel that that was very strong on both yes, counts. Yes. Um, one one of us couldn't quite get the votes though. <laughs> Healthcare bill joke. Come on, come on, DC. Sorry. Those of us who think that Casper won this thirty-second recap, please clap now. I feel so validated. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> Those of you who think that Vanessa won the 30-second recap, clap now. Aww. An okay. opera clap. I, okay. That's interesting. I learned about you. Oh, it feels good to rule. Hello. I, just like to highlight a few things that we missed. Oh, yes. We said Ron was dragged, but we didn't say Ron's leg was broken. Oh, yeah. His leg was broken, snapped. It was like, it, the language is so dramatic in the depths. It's like his, uh, in a thunderous clap, his leg was snapped. I was like, what are his bones made of? <laughs> like, why? So loud. You uh, missed my favorite moment of the chapter, the Pocahontas moment where Crookshanks jumps onto Sirius Black's chest <laughs> and is like, no, kill me first. Kill me. <laughs> Um, and you also missed that we learned that Lupin created the Marauder's Map. Right. Oh. Reveal. Good magician that he is. Yeah. Dead. There's a lot that happens. You know, we've been struggling with these 30-second recaps in chapters that are like 10 pages long. <laughs> Book five. I don't, I don't know what we're going to do. <laughs> I don't want to. Just like one word. Just like, mm, mm, mm. It'll get very Dada. Well, yes. It's a Dada-esque <laughs> approach, yeah. Um, now listen, it's a great pleasure for us to do live shows because we get to meet you. And I hope many of you will come and say hello after the show. But it's also a great pleasure because you get to meet each other. Oh, isn't that fun? Everyone's like, what is he going to do? <laughs> I didn't come for participation. <laughs> Don't worry, it's very easy. Um, what we're going to invite you to do is just like the Hogwarts skyline, our days are filled with towers and dungeons. 
Um, and we're going to ask you to turn to a person, hopefully maybe someone you didn't arrive with, and share like a highlight of your day and something that wasn't as joyful. It could be a tower of joy or a you know, dungeon of despair. It can be as much or as little as you want to share. Um, I just realized I made a Game of Thrones joke there. Yeah, you got it. I, it was, I felt it. Tower of joy. Anyway. Um, oh, it's so exciting. I'm staying on, staying on track. Vanessa. Yes. Will, let's model. Yes. Yeah. Let's. What was your tower of delight and your dungeon for today? Um, I love being in D.C. Yeah. However... I'm sorry, guys. I opened the door for the first time in like three hours on the drive, and it was like a wall of swamp just like hit me in the face. And really, the thing that's hard about that, as a Jewish girl with curly hair, is that I had this great hair plan for tonight, but the weather frizzed it up, and so now it's up. It was going to be down. It looks beautiful. I know. <laughs> but... That's my dungeon. I had a hair plan and it was foiled. It was a really good day. So, um, my tower is that um, my very good friend Robbie Boyer, who sold you all merch. I hope you guys bought merch and you bought it from Robbie <laughs> or his beautiful wife Clara. And um, I got to like spend a lot of the day with him today, and that was really fun. So that's my tower. What about you, Casper? Yeah, we can all clap for Robbie yeah, and Clara. Robbie. Thank you, Robbie. Apparently the world's living expert on eco-villages. Yeah. So there you go. Um, right here. <laughs> He's like, please don't talk to me about my work. I'm on vacation. Okay, Casper. Um, my, my dungeon, I've, we've been on the road for a little while, so I miss my husband. Yeah, I know. I'm going to see him tomorrow, so I'm excited by that. My, yeah. <laughs> He's like, keep going. You just go, go. Yeah. How about, like, Richmond, Virginia next? Um, uh, my, my tower was, I am now obsessed with the Moana soundtrack. Oh, my God, yes. Yeah. So, confession, when Vanessa started playing it during a meeting about two months ago, I was like, turn this shit off. Like, I, and now I've seen the movie, and it's so great. I'm Every like, time I try to put on another song, he's like, can we do the Moana one again? Consider the coconut. The Consider its trees. Anyway, I'm really into it. Hours. I feel like your tower is that Ariana and I indulge you That's the true. entire That's car true. ride. I am grateful. I am grateful. Yeah. Uh, well, so turn to a neighbor, share maybe something that was joyful about today, something that was more difficult. We'll give you a couple minutes and we'll come back together. Thank you, everyone. Good plan. All right, everyone. I hope you got to meet a nice new person or that the person you came with was still nice. Um, wow, that would be Thank you, everyone. So it's time, it's time for us to dig into this theme of trust. Mm. Ariana. Yes, I have a question for you. Okay. Mm. The chapter starts with, as you said in your recaps, Maybe. the possible, what we think is the execution of Buckbeak. And Hermione says, I'll just read it. She says, how could they? It starts with this great betrayal, and I feel like throughout the chapter, there's just more betrayal as they meet Sirius and Lupin comes in. Um, and I was wondering, since our theme is trust, what you think the relationship between trust and betrayal is. Yeah. Can, can I you want to go first? Yeah. Well, I think um, trust is the <laughs> trust is the pre-existing condition for betrayal. 
Um, you can't, right, you can't, I know, that was a bad way to say that. Um, you can't feel betrayed if you haven't trusted someone. And I think we see that in this chapter, the, um, the only time that the word trust comes up in the chapter, yeah. um, her, uh, Harry has, says to Lupin, uh, Hermione has just revealed that Lupin is a werewolf, and um, Harry says to Lupin, I trusted you. And, um, and that, like, that's the thing about betrayal, right? Is that trust is a leap of faith. Trust is like the necessary component to loving someone, to getting into any sort of partnership with someone. You have, you have to trust them. You have to trust that they won't, that they will, that they are who they say they are, that they will to some extent do what they say they will do. And so to have that trust betrayed, even though Lupin isn't actually betraying them, I don't think that him not he doesn't owe them the information that he's a werewolf. I don't think that that's actually a betrayal. But, um, yes, I, I'm just making sure I believe that. I do, right? People um, often talk about how Lupin being a werewolf is a metaphor for, you know, somebody having HIV AIDS. And, like, that's not information that other people need to know until they need to know it. And, like, the kids don't need to know that he is a werewolf. That is on an as-need-to-know basis. But I understand why in that moment they do feel betrayed. And, um, yeah, I feel like then you start to doubt, can I even trust myself? Like, I trusted my gut. I trusted what was in front of me that, you know, you were a good teacher, that you were a good mentor, that you were this father figure to me, and it turns out that you've been lying to me this whole time. Mm. What do you think? I, I like that idea that you can only feel betrayed if you've at first trusted someone. That, make, that makes sense. Um, the, the thing that I'm thinking of... And, this kind of relationship between those two is serious acts in lots of ways that don't make sense. Uh, when I first read it, I was like, you'd think at the first chance that you have to explain what's happened, you'd be like, no, it's not what you think. I, I passed the secret keeping thing onto Peter and then he, um, but Sirius does none of that. Like Harry says to him, you killed my parents. And Sirius's answer is, I don't deny it because he, he still feels responsible even if he's not guilty you know um and so all he cares about in this whole scene is like catching that rat and you know sum summarily executing it um the rat for any people who love rats who don't know what happens rat, the rat is actually also a man that doesn't make it uh, yeah anyway um i feel like everyone was like oh thank god yeah. <laughs> not a rat just a human yeah just a human um but so the point I'm trying to make is that um, Sirius maybe at some point trusted the institutions of justice. Um, and he has spent you know, 12, 13 years uh, as an innocent man imprisoned in Azkaban. And so like, he doesn't want to like bring Pettigrew to justice because he, he doesn't trust that system anymore. So I think the fact that he felt betrayed maybe by his Azkaban experience has you know, got rid of any trust that he might have. And so he's now just going to act as an individual kind of assassin. Vigilante. Yes. Yeah, which With is... With long hair. The text says it's down to... The, it's down, his hair is down to his, his uh, elbows. Elbows. It's long. Yeah. Not a barber in Asquan. No. <laughs> or at least not in the Shrieking Shack where he's been hiding. Not for the yeah. last little while. Um, yeah, and I mean, Harry also... Like, Harry does not want you know, this justice to be, like, mitigated, like, litigated through, right, the justice system, right? He does not want Sirius to go to the Dementors. He wants to kill him himself. Um, and I don't, I, part of me wants to make the argument that it's because the justice system has just betrayed 
Hagrid and Buckbeak, at least in his mind. But I don't think so. That right, he wants him dead, not like not given the Dementor's kiss. He wants to like do it himself and to avenge his parents himself. Yeah. Although I will say, it's just really it's it's really interesting to me that Harry emerges from this scene and like learns about himself that he is not somebody who will actually kill. Right? That even if he really wants to kill, he won't. And I'm like, also, you didn't know how, <laughs> right? And like, I am someone who like won't commit a bank heist. Also, I don't have those skills. <laughs> I am someone who will steal a bite of food off your plate when you go to the bathroom because I have that skill. <laughs> so like, I wonder if Harry gets to start telling himself this story of like, right. I'm just not a violent person. Right. I'm an expelliarmus exactly. type guy. Yeah. I, it's not that he like, he's not like some do-gooder hero for the rest of the books. He's just like, I'm not sure I can do that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm convinced by that. Right? This is his Draco moment. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I'm like, you're not like a great guy. You're like an inept murderer, which is fine. (laughs) Like, that's fine. But he tries. He bashes Sirius in the side of the head and like throws himself against Sirius. This is like not from lack of effort. Right. Right. Anyway. But there's a point there about when when you don't trust your own body, right? Like it doesn't do what you want it to do. I um, I recently had, well, nine years ago, I, have I told this story on the podcast? You haven't. Oh, 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 I'm saving it up for when we have the theme of falling off a pier. Um, (laughs) uh, Obviously that'll be book five, chapter seven. Obviously. (laughs) I fell off a pier uh, nine years ago and I I broke both my ankles and um, I can, I'm I'm fine. Thank you. Um, (laughs) But one of the things that I, I, you know, I have to stretch every morning and things. And one of the things I'm not so good at is um, I recently did join a CrossFit box. And <clears throat> America is not good for the body, let me tell you. <laughs> I, I, I see the wonderful hosts who first hosted me when I, when I came to America, David and Naomi, hello. And they introduced me to whipped cream cheese. From then on, it was downhill, America. <laughs> So you, I blame you both. <laughs> anyway, so it was time to join a CrossFit box. And you have to do a lot of like dynamic jumping, right? With like lift it. I'm, you, you get what I mean. And I was No, really... why don't you demonstrate it? Okay. I don't get it. <laughs> yeah. um, bad form. But uh, you, you have to jump. And I realized I was really bad at landing. And it was one of those moments where I didn't quite trust my own body because my, obviously like the, I guess the physical trauma of the ankle breaking meant like, landing equals danger. You know, like, do not do that. So I, maybe Harry's in one of those moments for the rest of the book where he doesn't quite trust his physical... Yeah. Or it's just now a story he gets to tell himself, right? right? Like, I tell myself all sorts of great stories about the kind of person I am. But so Harry is like, I walked out of there and I decided not to kill him and I guess I'm just not that kind of guy. Right. And I think I just think that there are a lot of circumstances that make us who we are, right? right. Like, I am, I like to think of myself as the kind of person who doesn't want to take advantage of other people, but also I'm like lucky enough that I don't have to, right? Like I don't feel in dire straits. So I just think he, this is circumstances conspiring. You asked about betrayal and trust. <laughs> and we've <laughs> arrived at this. <laughs> at this very obvious place. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, my second question for you, which I think we've talked about trust in the self. 
Um, let's explore a little bit more the role of trust in relationships. And, and I think there are a lot of really intricate relationships in this chapter. We've got Harry, Ron, Hermione, and have you, as you've discussed, Harry and Lupin. But, yeah. Go okay. Ahead. So the one that I find really interesting is Lupin and um, Sirius in this chapter, right? This yeah. is so <laughs> the fun. 180 turn in two seconds or less. Right. Yeah. Like for the last 12 years, Lupin, who had been great friends with Sirius, has thought him a mass murderer and has not had contact as far as we know. Um, you know, he hasn't told... Dumbledore that Sirius is also an animagus or an animagus depending on Jim Dale or Stephen Fry. Uh, <laughs> um, so there's maybe a little still protecting him in some small ways, but that's also about protecting yeah, other not, people, I think. Um, about protecting himself. Right. Um, so, yeah, the, fa the fact that there's been this big amount of distrust between Lupin and Sirius, and he sees Sirius on the Marauders map, and he sees Peter Pettigrew on the map, and he's able to like click, 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 it all falls into place in this very short amount of time, and so as soon as he sees Sirius, once he's inside that room, like everything is forget. Well, it's not even forgiven, it's just trust is rebuilt so immediately, just like this eye contact moment, oh my god, I got it completely wrong, I'm so sorry, I, com I completely trust you again, and I think, of course, a lot of that is about the relationship, the friendship that they've had for so long. I don't know. It was just a beautiful moment I'm, where yeah. it's like rebuilt in seconds. Oh, I think it's beautiful. And I think it speaks to, uh, I mean, to Lupin's either brilliance or generosity of heart. Because I think that I would have a really hard time if, if I were in Lupin's shoes, even if I suddenly understood, I was like, okay, so it wasn't you. I don't think I would immediately jump into like, I'm so sorry, like hug. Mm -hmm. I think that once you see something as guilty, it's really hard to step back and get the new information and be like, oh, it turns out we were wrong, right? You hear that about like when um, people in prison have been released because it turns out that they absolutely did not commit the crime, right? There's still like a huge bias against them of like, well, they probably did something that like got them into the situation where they were falsely accused, right? And I just think that we have this I, I'll speak for myself, I hope it's not just me, but um, I think we have a natural tendency to, as soon as some doubt is cast upon someone, even if it's removed, like, hold some of that prejudice. And it's amazing what Lupin does. Like, he's like, trust, restored, here we are, best friends, hug. Well, and the opposite happens in the chapter two, right? The, Ron learns that Lupin is a werewolf, and the first thing he says is, get away from me, werewolf. In this, like, very slurry, yeah. like you could hear a word being replaced for werewolf. That's yeah, and, and this is, you know, this is one of his favorite teachers. He's felt safe and inspired by this, by this teacher. And, and his trust in Dumbledore is broken, right? He says Dumbledore made a mistake. Um, and Ron is someone we know to be loving and, and good in so many ways. And yet this is the, yeah, like the prejudice. And raised, piece. like, you, you know, something that we think about prejudice is that you have to be taught. You have to be raised in like a prejudice home. But Theoretically, Ron was raised by the Weasleys, so we would like... It's amazing how quickly it's get away from me, werewolf. Yeah, everybody has very quick responses in this chapter. They're like, new information, now I have to kill you, not you. It's like a lot of... That has nothing to do with the fact this is a children's book still, and we're trying to move the plot along. Nothing. No. no. How dare you? I know. <laughs> how dare you? I have one more question yes. for you. Okay. <laughs> so... 
Ron has just learned that Lupin's a werewolf, yeah. mm-hmm. um, and that causes him to distrust him. As we've talked about, can you untang- untangle the relationship between trust and knowledge a little bit more? Yeah, I think that um, knowledge builds trust, right? If you know someone better, you're more likely to trust them, even if they have done an action that you find untrustworthy on its face, right? You understand their motivations, you understand, you know, their backstory as to why they maybe did what they did. Um, I think that that goes. I think that that goes to. I mean, that is what Sirius is banking on, right? Sirius says to Harry, "If you would just let me tell my story, you would understand." And that is like this brilliant moment of um, of saying, like, if if you had more information. I think that also. I I just want to give a shout out to Lupin in this moment too. I think Lupin also. Lupin's knowledge of the kids and the fact that they aren't violent and the fact that they do have some of a relationship allows him to do this brilliant thing, mm-hmm. which is in the middle mm-hmm. of this fight, he's like, I'm going to give you guys the wands. Mm-hmm. I'm going to give you the power. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's when he starts making that decision. So, I, yeah, I think that knowledge of one another and of a subject builds trust. Yeah. No? Yeah, no, that makes sense to me. Although th- the more I know you, <laughs> the less I trust him with my chocolate. That is fair. That is fair. <laughs> uh, I love Maltesers, those little chocolate thingy balls. So good, right? They're so like, good. They're British Whoppers. They're better than that. And, anyway. <laughs> to start tour, Ariana got me one of those enormous, like... Costco it, it was Yeah, it was like a bucket of them. <laughs> I feel like being very generous by sharing those. You have. Okay. Casper, how does this relate to knowledge Oh, I'm sorry. Um... <laughs> Trust and knowledge. Everyone's okay. like, yep, Ariana uh-huh. is necessary to the team. Uh-huh. <laughs> we make a half an hour episode. It's two hours in the studio. <laughs> it's a lot of that. Um, yes, trust and knowledge. I mean, I, compl- I love that point of the more we know one another's stories. I think, you know, if you're trying to collaborate, you know, in, in, in a work situation, the work moves at the speed of trust. I love that phrase. Like, because when you, when you trust one another, you trust one another's decisions on things and you can yeah. delegate and you can, right? Like, you don't have to micromanage everything. Um, and I guess, oh, maybe that's what's going on with the teachers. Maybe. Say more. <laughs> Cause you would think, right? Like, our favorite book, Failed Pedagogy at Hogwarts, a primer, right? Like maybe, maybe. We're shopping Dumb- it around. Yeah. Maybe Dumbledore's taken everyone on like a long trust building weekend. And it's just like, everyone, you do you. <laughs> no inspections, no grading. That's definitely it. Yeah. I really We like did that. come up with a title for our book. It's called Really Hogwarts? Really? <laughs> Okay. Do we have one more point before we move on from the theme conversation? Okay. Yeah. The, um, I mean, Hogwarts sure trusts the kids not to go near that whomping willow. I understand. Okay. I just, I, I'm sorry. Now I'm on failed pedagogy at Hogwarts. I understand the necessity of the whomping willow, but it seems like a harsh lesson for a kid to learn. It's not, they're not told, right? They're not told. And by the way, that tree can kill you. We find out in book two, the kids are like, what are we in? Oh my God. We're in a tree that likes to beat the crap out of anything that touches it. I think that was a very trusting moment of the groundskeeper to put that in the middle of the school without a sign saying, like, keep away, come up to it at your own risk, unless you're Crookshanks. It's a very learn-by-doing approach. (laughs) Learn by concussion. That's where you wanted us to end, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. 
Good job. <laughs> oh, I think it's time for our ad, actually. It is. <laughs> so one of the reasons why we really wanted to come to Sixth and I is because uh, I think it was last season we had Rabbi Scott Perlow join us on the show um, to introduce. Yes, yes. Joy yes. for joy for Scott. Um, where is he? Oh, there he is. Hi, Scott. Um, Scott is one of the rabbis here at Sixth and I. Uh, he's a wonderful, wise human being. He's about to become a dad, which is very exciting. Yes. Um, and most importantly, yes. Vanessa and he used to play dreidel, dreidel in Los Angeles together as children, Isn't which we crazy? only found out today. Today. My mom was like, you knew him. I was like, okay. <laughs> So Scott's going to come on stage and join us and tell a little story about trust uh, from his perspective. Welcome, Scott. Vanessa, did you know that uh, Dumbledore was actually partially based off of a rabbi that J.K. Rowling knew? I did. Is that real? totally a face. Sorry. (laughs) I'm glad I outgrew that gullible thing, Scott. Really? We are trying to rebuild trust in religion and religious figures, and you're helping. I'm just getting you back for winning a dreidel. I probably did. (laughs) So I do have to change the tone. And I want to tell you uh, not a contemporary story, but an old story. And the thing that you have to know about this old story in order to get caught up to speed, in order to feel like you uh, get all the pieces of it, is that it involves Elijah the prophet, who was a biblical prophet, but, so our ancestors teach, he never died. And since then, he's been wandering the world, showing up at some of the peoples in this room's Passover seders occasionally. (laughs) But the thing about Elijah the prophet is he had another role, which is to show up and to remind you what was important in probably the most obnoxious in your face way possible. If you are on the street and someone stops you to ask for your help or is rude to you and nonetheless you need to help them out, if someone's homeless or hungry or needy, if someone smells bad or treats you poorly and yet you have to respond like a human being, be careful because that person might be Elijah the prophet. And that's what you have to know to know this story. Hundreds of years ago, one of the great rabbis of Hasidic Judaism, Rabbi Nachum of Chernobyl. He had his own mitzvah. This was their way. They had one thing, each of these rabbis, that they would do that was theirs, that truly belonged to them, that made them move hak, brilliant, that made them shine. And Rabbi Nachum's thing was that he would raise money for orphaned brides. This may not sound like such a big thing to you, but in the old world, when you got married, you brought housewares and linens and bedding and all the things that you needed to make a life with you. And if you didn't have a family, it was very, very hard. And so the community would pitch in. And this was Reb Nachum's thing. He would go from door to door and from house to house, raising money for needy brides. And one day his master, the Baal Shem Tov, the great founder of Hasidic Judaism, said to him, Nachum, this week the need is pressing. 10 brides, 10,000 rubles, when some people didn't even see one or two in a day. An enormous sum of money. It's on you to get. We're depending on you. 
So Nahum goes to the city of Brud, which is in Poland, which is a very wealthy community, because he figures there he'll have better chances. But he's not rating his chances very highly. 10,000 is a lot of money. For three weeks, Reb Nahum goes everywhere, to every house, banging on doors, begging and pleading, and after three weeks, nothing. Not a dime, not a kopeck, not a ruble. And so he sits on a street corner and he puts his head in his hands and he calls out to the God in which he believes and he said, Rabbono Shalala, master of the universe, if it were for me that I was asking, I could understand you not giving. But I'm asking for people in need. I'm asking for your namesake. How can you deny me? And thus he poured out his heart and his anger and his sadness and not being able to complete this mission. And at the same time, he sees walking down the street the strangest sight. Two policemen with a little man in between them, handcuffed to them both. And as they're walking down the street, this little man, he's dancing. And Ramnachum is distracted from his own problems, and he goes and says, I've got to check out why this little man is dancing. And he says, excuse me, sir, sir, why are you dancing in between two policemen? And he says, the man says, haven't you heard of me? I'm Moshe the Ganef. The few people know what it is. Ganef is a Yiddish word, means I'm Moses the thief. <laughs> I'm the most famous Ganef, I'm the most famous thief in all of Poland. How could you not have heard of me? And Reb Nachum says, I'm so sorry, I'm new here, I just got into town. It's an immense honor. But uh, if you're such a fantastic thief, how was it that you, you're caught, but you, you got caught by the police? <laughs> Don't worry about that, says Moshe the Ganef. To every thief it happens, not just me, not important at all. Nahum looks him in the eyes and says, listen, Moshe, you're going to prison. When you get out, promise me that you'll change your life and no longer be a thief. And Moshe looks at Reb Nahum and he laughs and he laughs and he laughs. Now, this story was told originally to Jews, and so it's written for Jews. But I want to give everyone in the room permission to extrapolate from what I'm just about to say to yourself. He says, Nachum, a Jew does what he's meant to do, and he never stops. And on that note, he starts singing and dancing and walks away in between two policemen. Reb Nachum got the message. He went back to every house, every door that he had knocked on in the three weeks. But this time he didn't walk, he danced. And in three days, he had made the 10,000 ruble that he needed. And he returns to his hometown, to Mezhubozh, and he puts, runs into the Baal Shem Tom study, and he puts the 10,000 rubles on his desk. And before he can say a word, the Baal Shem Tov says to him, Nachum, and how does Elijah the prophet look when he's dancing between two policemen? There is to each person in this world a purpose. Is there something that you are meant to do? Is there something not just for yourself, but beyond yourself that makes you feel that you know is holy, is meaningful?
If there is such a thing, then you must do it. And trust in whatever higher power or whatever universe or whatever energy or in yourself that you will, in the end of the day, be successful and help no matter what you see in front of your eyes right now. Trust is also about purpose. Another word for it is faith. This, my friends, is the story of Reb Nachum of Chernobyl and Elijah the prophet. So I'm going to ask the question that, I, first of all, that story is amazing. Thank you. Um, I feel like if you know me, you like know that I'm about to ask the darkest, most twisted question, which is like, what you about... You were Jewish. It's yes, fine. exactly. Or if you know I'm Jewish. Um, what, what, how does that story theologically make sense of people who spend their entire lives suffering? And I can give very bleak examples, but I feel like all four of my grandparents are Holocaust survivors, and they survived, right? And a lot of people didn't, and a lot of children, right? Like, or a child born with Tay-Sachs, or a child born with... You went straight to the Holocaust? That's what you did to me? I'm in sixth and I. I'm like, I'm home. I'm going to do it. Yeah, no, but like, that's always my question to stories like that. It's why I feel like... Right? It's why I'm an atheist. I love everything about your story, and then I'm like, okay, but what about these people? Fine, but then I have to answer you with Potter. I mean, if you go to the Holocaust, Do I it. get to use. <laughs> yeah. Look, th- think about Sirius's life for a second, and I'm, it's fiction, so, right? And what happens to him? Casper is a person who keeps the faith, you right? Serious. <laughs> also, also, wow. And then there's me. (laughs) Sirius is a person who keeps the faith, even though everything goes wrong for him. And there is a point in time in which the heart of Sirius's life is an immense injustice that's been done to him that never gets erased. But when he escapes Azkaban, and when he goes after Peter, on some level, Sirius is still being serious. He's still fulfilling what he sees as a primary purpose, which is loyalty to the friends who are loyal to him. I am not saying that everything in this world happens to us for a purpose. Mm-hmm. That I actually don't believe. Okay. But I do believe that people are filled with purpose. Yeah. And even in dark circumstances, especially in dark circumstances, there is a moment that every person has to look at when you are doing what you think it is that you ought to be doing in this world and nothing's happening. Right? In fact, the opposite. Everything's working against you. Yeah. And the question is, do you give up? And both Harry Potter and the story of Renachum would say, no, you don't. You keep going. Thank you. (laughs) I mean, the first question was a softball. So now he's going to... The Holocaust softball. Thank you, Vanessa. (laughs) Okay, so I'm going to... What you don't know is that in the studio, like, often we end up in the Holocaust. Yeah, I know. Like, and... (laughs) No, I go there too now. I've learned well. Um... And Ariana's always like, let's edit that out. <laughs> um, Scott, the, the other thing that struck me in your story is that, like, per, I, I guess sometimes you have to just pretend like there's a purpose, right? It, it's not always clear what it is. And 
I don't know. That's at least what I took away. Like the the dancing. Like he didn't know that that was Elijah, but he was like, "Oh, I should I should also be doing the dancing as I go from house to house." (laughs) I don't. I don't know. Like I don't know. Sometimes I like I've had moments Ah. where I feel so clear. Like this is yes. Like I have energy that comes from way outside of my own. You know biological abilities or something and, and and that lasts for a, a while and then in my experience you'll have a couple of like real painful moments and it feels like it's gone and it takes time for it to come back i don't know i guess i'm asking about like when it when you don't feel it yeah is it kind of a fake it till you make it thing look the life of the people we're talking about was very dark and not particularly easy and one of the things that i think that you know our people and also oppressed peoples have figured out is that joy is a muscle um, as much as an outside experience. We Americans, I think, are used to sort of joy coming to us, but um, our ancestors made joy. And it's not about the dancing. It's about the fact that he realized that you can't do without joy, right? If you have something to do in your life, if you're called to do something, and, and in particular, if you have a gift for doing something. And you don't know where it's going to go or how it's going to end up. And, and sometimes it feels you're like a drag. And this is, I feel like this is true about my life as a rabbi and as a person attempting to be part of a spiritual community as well. It, you don't wake up in the morning and you're like, oh my God, this is amazing. You know, like I live in Washington, D.C. It's terrible. You know, like, right? <laughs> All right. Um, not everything is a pleasure, but even so, everything can be a joy if you squeeze the muscle. Yeah. yeah. Beautiful. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you so much, guys. So, when you all came in, I hope you, you got a little card. Did you get a little piece of card? Yes, look at that. Excellent. Waving it here in the front. Thank you. Wonderful. Um... So I want to invite you just for a minute or so, just kind of quiet reflection for yourself um, to answer. You know, we've been talking about trust. We've been talking about purpose. Really, this is a, a moment for you just to take a, take a minute and answer a question um, that will pose you. And you have the option. Um, first is, is there something in your life that you would like to trust more? Maybe about yourself, maybe about other people, maybe about the world. Um, and secondly, just inspired by what Scott was saying, maybe is there a, a, a little flame of a purpose or a little dancing man <laughs> in your mind or in your heart um, that you want to pay more attention to? So just maybe take a, take a minute and uh, we'll, we'll have some lovely quiet music underneath us. Do you want to give an example of the oh. kind of thing that you would? Mm. I want to trust my in-laws more that their intentions are good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I'm serious. We're going for Thanksgiving. It's good <laughs> to start to thinking prepare. about that now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I love that. I want to trust that when something goes wrong in my life, it's not because I was lazy. I always assume, I'm like, it's because I went to sleep early one night that that didn't make it on the to-do list. And I want to start trusting myself more and not nice. start assuming it's other people's fault. Just kidding. Okay, so <laughs> let's so, take a Yeah, take a, take a minute and we'll come back together in just about a minute or so.
you're welcome to keep hold of it yourself. You're also very welcome um, as you exit and go downstairs through the, I think it's the social room downstairs. We've got a big piece of paper on a wall and there's lots of little sticky tack there. And if you want to, we'd love it if you wanted to just stick uh, what you want to uh, trust more or that piece of purpose that you want to remember onto the big paper wall. Wall of trust will create a wall of trust. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, you can have a look at what other people's fun. Or not. It's really an invitation. <laughs> um, but now, it's time for our sacred reading practice. We love the music, and in the studio, we don't get to hear it. And so live, I'm like, mm. oh, I'm supposed to be talking, but mm. <laughs> Um, so tonight, because we are in this beautiful space, we are going to be doing the Jewish practice of pardes, which Scott Perlow taught us about yes. on the podcast. So if I do anything wrong, oh, he's in the back now. It's his fault. Um, <laughs> so, um, pardes is, um, a Jewish reading practice and it's an invitation to go past the literal meaning of the text and to go deeper and deeper through four stages. And what we end up doing is asking the text, do you have a secret to reveal to us? And sometimes the text is like, yes, but we're like, we can't hear you <laughs> and we don't get the secret, which is part of the fun. Um, but we try to really engage with the text and see where it takes us. And so we are going to go through the four steps. But first, we need your help picking the sentence that we are going to analyze. And would you like to do that? Yeah. Um, I'm going to... This person in red at the end of the row. Yes, hello. I'm going to ask you to choose a number between uh, page 333 and 348. Three four, ooh, challenging at the end, I ooh. like it. 347 it is. Okay, let me just count how many paragraphs. One, two, three, four, five. Ooh, lots of dialogue. Five, six, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. Twelve. Um, okay, this is a more complicated one. Um, a number between one and twelve. Seven. Mm, two, good. Yeah. Excellent pick. I'd have picked eight, but... <laughs> Okay, so Vanessa, this is the sentence. Yes. The important thing is, I was watching it carefully this evening. Okay, yeah. So the first step, it's a really good sentence. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you both. Um, so the first stage in Pardes is Pshat. First of all, a cool thing that Scott reminded us of is that um, Pardes also is a signifier if you like do one of the Jewish practices where with roots and I don't know. It means orchard, which is, I think, beautiful. But So the first step is pshat, and with the pshat, what you're doing is you're asking what is literally happening in this sentence. And do you mind reading it again, please? Yeah. The important thing is, I was watching it carefully this evening. So this is when Lupin is... Um, is explaining to Harry and Hermione that he saw them on the Marauder's map. And he's like, I made the Marauder's map. And there's all sorts of history behind that. But the important thing is that I was watching it tonight because I thought you guys would go down to try to comfort Hagrid. Mm. Correct? Oh, I forgot. Yeah, he's watching because he knows that Buckbeak is due to be condemned and probably also is, executed. Well, is due to be tried. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> well, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> We're skeptical about that branch of government, so. <laughs> it's 
sorry. Is there anything else you want to add to my shot? No, I think it's good. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, so the next step is remez. In remez, we are going for like the more allegorical, the deeper meaning. And one of the tools that we can use to do this, which we're going to do, is we'll look at the sentence and we ask ourselves, what other parts of the text does this remind me of? So if the word car is in it, we're like, oh, it reminds me of when Harry and Ron stole the car. And then it also reminds me of the fact that there's a car, the night bus is a car, and whatever, things like that. So, what is the actual sentence? Why did I make that so hard for myself? <laughs> okay, the sentence again, please. The important thing is, I was watching it carefully this evening. The thing that, I mean, this is a little bit far-fetched, but watching made me think of a watch, which made me think of the time turner, and I was just thinking of how important in these couple of Right? Yeah. <laughs> Hermione has it. She has it. Could she just be like, let's try this again? Exactly. <laughs> anyway. Exactly. We won't go down the time turner no. rabbit hole in this room. No good comes of it, people. No. No good. But so the, the, the value of um, magical objects, you know, I think so much of um, the book, of course, is, is focused on people and, and their interactions, but there are these incredible magical tools that they're using, and the map is one, and the watch is another, or the time turner is another. So that was just one word that struck me. The important thing is, I was watching it carefully this evening. Yeah, it made, <laughs> this sentence made me think of the Marauder's map. I'm going out there, guys. Um, and all of the different people who get their hands on it at different times. Oh, that's good. So right now it's in Lupin's possession. We know that it, it's been in Fred and George's possession. It's been in Harry's. Mad-Eye Moody is going to have it um, at one point. Snape can't figure out how it works. So this map, even though it's Harry's sort of now, it goes through, and I'm trying to think what we can get from that. That uh, I mean, uh, right, like, <laughs> the, uh, the tool needs, uh, I mean, it's a relational thing, right? A tool and the person using it. Right to Snape, the Marauder's Map is like a very frustrating, broken piece of parchment. But to Lupin, it's this like incredible tool to protect kids, and also that like helped him like find himself as a young boy. Um, to Fred and George, it's like the mischief, you know, maker. It's also like Wizard TV. Like let's just watch where people are moving. <laughs> it's a great stalking tool. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's, if you read it that way, the important thing is I was watching it carefully this evening. We have, we like go back and forth in the studio as to whether it's adorable or creepy when Harry watches Ginny's name in book seven. We're like, he just wants to look at her name. And then you're like, he's like watching where she goes all the time. Anyway. It's a bit, now that I know Moana, it's also like about the song about the island and no one leaves. It's just like... <laughs> we started in the car doing zombie hands. We're like, and no one... Anyway. Um, anything else on Remez? <laughs> the important thing is, I was watching it carefully this evening. Mm. Mm. <laughs> anything else on Remez, Casper? Can I ask? Yeah. yeah. Um, is there something that you can learn from holding maybe Harry watching Ginny on the map in this moment of Lupin watching them on the map side by side? Yes. They, um, I mean, people use the map for, to look over the people who they love, mm. right? Um, 
I feel like the, the Marauders map is sort of like Facebook. Or uh, baby cam. <laughs> or baby cam. Casper um, and I share a goddaughter, and we are very judgmental of her parents. Who have, we're recording this. Rosie and Robert, we're talking about you. Um, <laughs> for, we tell them this to their face. They watch their baby sleep. And we're like, give her some privacy. <laughs> and they're like, she's 18 months old. And we're like, she's allowed her alone time. Anyway, the Marauder's Map is like that. But it's, um, I feel like you can use it, you can use it to, yeah, watch over someone you love. And Lupin, what's interesting is that Lupin is worried that the kids are going to go down, right, and um, to Hagrid's hut, and they shouldn't because they're dementors and Sirius Black is on the loose. But he doesn't, like, prevent them. He, like, go, right? He's not, he could be like, I see that they're leaving the castle. No, no, guys. He trusts them. <laughs> Or, or other options. But um, <laughs> what about you? Is there something that we learn from the map from all these different? I like that. I like that yeah. it's an item of, of care and depends how you use it. Yeah. For good or bad. Right. Yeah. All right. So step step three. Yes. Is drosh and um, the way that we talk about drosh um, with Scott's approval is um, that it's. Um, you ask the text, like, if I were to pull a moral from the text, if I were to want to preach a sermon about this, you know, sort of liturgical moment, what would I say? What would I want the, pe the people to know? Do you want to read it one more time for us, please? The important thing is, I was watching it carefully this evening. I mean, I, maybe it's too simple, but it's like, watch over the people you love. Uh, yeah. Right? I think I, that doesn't feel simple at all. Oh, that's true. Right? And um, I think that we sometimes think that watching over the people we love is like small work, mm. right? It's like not big in scope. Well, and how do you do it? Right, you know, how is, do you do it? Because is it calling all the time? Yes, no, maybe, you know. Yeah. yeah that's how not easy. And yeah, I think that he he does it Lupin does it well to some extent by letting the trio actually move. Someone has something to I say, but I'm going to finish anyway. Oh, no, I'm not. I lost it. What? <laughs> you're adorable. I'm That's, sorry. I'm so proud that you're not afraid to jump anymore. <laughs> That's true. I jumped. <laughs> Breakthrough. I literally practiced for an hour. I was practicing jumping in that CrossFit thing. Anyway, um, I, what I, I think what I'm taking, like the, the message I would preach is that... Um, Right? Lupin knows they're going. Lupin knows where they're going. Lupin knows that there is some risk. And he's not running out to prevent them, right? They're 13. He, he trusts their ability to use the invisibility cloak. But he is keeping watch, like from afar. And go. Follows and follows them. when something unexpected happens, right? Sirius shows up. Peter Pettigrew shows up. And so he's like, oh my God. Now I'm gonna, now I'm gonna go in. And he walks in just in time to, yeah, to intervene. I, I think it's beautiful. It's like no, no when to step back and no when to step in. I think it's beautiful. But doesn't he only go down because he sees Peter Pettigrew's? Yeah, but that's a good reason. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think I would preach that. I'm sorry, I wasn't trying to tear down what you were saying. I think, right, what I would preach is very similar. Like, everybody needs to be taken care of in different ways. And 
you should take care of the person who you're trying to take care of in a way that works for them, not in a way that works for mm. you. I just had this conversation with my mother. I just moved, and I don't like owning things. Owning things really stresses me out, and my mom loves giving me things. And for a long time, I put it on myself that it's like up to me to experience that as love, even though I experience it as anxiety. And I just told my mom, I was like, mom, I know that you are giving me this out of love and generosity. I experience it as just like awful and that I then have to like store crap that seems meaningful to you. And she was like, okay, I'll, you know, like I'll stop. She can give me gifts. (laughs) (laughs) So I feel like Right, We have to teach each other how to take care of each other. And the way that you take care of one person isn't the way that you, somebody else wants to be taken care of. I like that. So, yeah. Yes. And now is the hard bit. So the last step of pardes is sowed. And sowed means secret. And so we sit with the text and we, we think about it for a moment with some lovely music under us. And we um, ask ourselves if a secret has sort of emerged from this process. And so can you read it for us one more time, please? Well, and sometimes it doesn't come. I think that's fine to say. Sometimes the so does not Again, arrive. Again, that spin expectations management <laughs> thing. Okay. The important thing is I was watching it carefully this evening. The important thing is, I was watching it carefully this evening. Well, I'm just looking out at you and you're watching me carefully this evening. And so I was like, you know what I mean? Um, So I don't know. And I feel like... The, the whole podcast project is so lovely as an experience for us because, you know, we get lovely emails and people come to a live show. And um, I don't know, I, I just realized the generosity that I felt people looking at me carefully this evening. <laughs> <laughs> what came to me is that um, what's important is the action, not the thing. In terms of what, um, right? What's imp- what he says is what was important is that I was looking about it, looking at it tonight, right? It's not what's important is the backstory. What's important is, you know, w- why I'm doing what I'm doing. What's important is the action that I have taken. Um, yeah, I think that you know I wonder at my intentions a lot, and like sometimes at the end of the day, all that matters is the action that you take. I think that. that Thanks, Vanessa. Thank you, Casper. Thank you, Lupin. Thanks, Lupin. Thanks, Scott, for teaching us that. (laughs) Thanks, Scott. (laughs) I'm really curious. Does anyone do, like, Lectio or the Sacred Imagine? Like, does anyone do some of the practices at home with, like, friends or family? Yay! Well, I know, are there any teachers in the room? A couple of teachers, yeah. Has anyone adapted? I know people have adapted some things for the classroom in a really fun way. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. Okay, I'm sorry. Nerding, nerding out. Um, so we're nearly coming to the end of the show, um, but we're going to do a little bit of offering of blessings first. Ooh. And I love um, the, the art of blessing seems to be something that's a little lost, I think, in our society. And it's something that we love to, to, uh, yeah, to do in the show and kind of to bring back a little bit. So um, in a moment, we'll, we'll ask you to turn back to the people that you were talking to at the beginning and share a blessing 
um, for one of the characters in the pages. And the way we think about blessing, it's really a chance to speak a, a beautiful truth, um, which we don't always feel like we have permission to say. Um, it's like a little ritualized moment of, of honoring something in someone or the, the promise of something. Um, so uh, we will we'll bless afterwards or first? Yeah. After, yeah. yeah, yeah. So turn, turn to the person you were talking to, or someone new, also totally great, and offer someone from these pages, from the books, really anyone, bless anyone that you would like to, and just share a little bit about why you would like to give them a blessing. So I'm gonna bring us all back together. I hope you got to uh, enjoy a blessing or two. You can keep going afterwards. You're very welcome to bless forever into the night. But as we come back Aww, together... These two people, they didn't know each other before, and oh, they hugged. Oh, I love it. Every hug is a blessing. Consensual hugs. Um, so, Ariana, <laughs> would you like to share your blessing today? Yes. My blessing's a little abstract today. As we were rereading the chapter this morning, we were listening to it in the car, um, I noticed that there's this parallel moment where at the very beginning, Hermione and Ron have to hold back Harry so he doesn't turn back and run to comfort Hagrid. And then there's a moment when they see Sirius where, where Ron and Hermione hold back Harry so that he doesn't lunge at Sirius. Mm. So I want to bless Harry Potter. Um, bold Who? choice. <laughs> Um, f for always like taking like a bold stand, even if it isn't the right one, because I think it lets Ron and Hermione like have orient themselves in the moment. Like if they don't have Harry making a strong choice, I think it's harder for them to under to know what to do in difficult situations. And so I want to bless Harry for that, and anybody who is able to make a decision even if it's sometimes the wrong one, and trust their friends to help them reorient themselves, um, and, and for giving us all a way to situate ourselves in difficult times. Mm. That was beautiful. Yeah. Thank you. How about you, Vanessa? Does anyone want to guess who I'm going to bless tonight? Hermione, what a great idea. So I have committed myself, to those of you who don't listen to the podcast, to only blessing women. And sometimes my job of picking who is really easy. Because like in this chapter, it's just Hermione. Um, but if you're only going to have one woman in the room, she's probably the one to go with. So it's, and it's been a gift to me to like get to think so much about Hermione. But, um, so I'm going to bless Hermione because the world is like a little bit coming to the end, right? She's done all of this work on trying to save Buckbeak and she thinks he's just been killed. Um, the boy who she sort of likes slash her best friend's leg has just been broken and he's been like dragged into this thing and then there's a mass murderer in front of her. And then she hears a door open and she is such a like optimistic, hopeful, trusting person that she's like, we're up here. Like just counting on the fact that whoever that is, it's probably good news. <laughs> 
And like, I need to learn from that, right? Like that is not my forte. I'm not, but she is like just learning that the world is so complicated and she's still just so pure of heart and trusting. And so I would like to offer a blessing to anyone who is going through a hard time and is just still choosing to be optimistic and to keep up and keep going and doing so with a smile. So that is my blessing tonight. And you, Casper? One character we didn't talk about a lot tonight is Crookshanks. And yeah, so much going on with Crookshanks. So I want to... In, yeah, I guess my blessing is for Crookshanks because Crookshanks is doing a lot in this chapter, oh. right? It's befriended Sirius and has helped Sirius in all sorts of ways. And, you know, we learn later about how that happens and the trust that's built there, but also helps Hermione and Harry. Um, and I mean, with Sirius, like, protects his heart, right? The, the Pocahontas moment. I love that. Um, but also really helps Hermione and Ron. Uh, Crookshanks goes and hits the magic root of the Whomping Willow, which stops the tree so they can enter the... So Crookshanks is taking both sides. Like, I, I love that, um, you know, I've had this situation recently where two good friends in a difficult situation and, like, how, how do you love and support both? Um, and so I guess anyone who's kind of in, like, a triangulated conflict and, and showing support and love to both... Um, yeah, that's my blessing. Mm, yeah. um, one last blessing that we would like to offer is for all of you for coming tonight. Thank you. Um, and for coming with us on this journey. Casper and I started doing this project two years ago. And when we were deciding we were going to run it as a community class. And we wrote down that even if nobody came, we would do it every week, Wednesdays at seven o'clock, um, on the fourth floor of this like gross building. And um, that even if nobody came, we were so excited to do it, we would do it just the two of us. And we never could have imagined that like it would be like this. Um, and so a blessing to all of you, it's effort for you all to be here tonight to buy tickets and to get on metros or cars or flights or um, and to hire babysitters and all of that effort that you put into us getting to have like the coolest job in the world. I'm at work right now. Anyway, a blessing to all of you for being on this journey with us and being a part of this community with us. Thank you. So thank you. So as we <clears throat> read out the credits for the end of the show, it's time to pick up our instruments. <laughs> We've been practicing for days. Um, Nick taught me one chord. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember it? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but All right, I'm ready. Nick. <laughs> Take it away. <laughs> But it's good. <laughs> we would like to thank tonight Dupe for taking photos for us. 
everyone here at Sixth and I, Kate, Trevor, Matthew, and Rabbi Scott Perlow. We would like to thank our volunteers who we told them at the last minute had to help us, Robbie and Clara Boyer. Um, a big thanks to our mentor, Stephanie Porcel, Tessaly Deal for designing the beautiful slides, um, Sarah and Gerard for being our fabulous sign language interpreters. Thank you. And uh, we'd love to see you. We'll be downstairs after the show. There's some lovely t-shirts and the hats and stickers if you'd like to buy one. Come and say hello to us. We'll be there very shortly afterwards. But most importantly, and so gratefully, we want to say a huge thank you to all of you for coming out tonight. Have a wonderful rest of your evening, and we'll see you soon. Thank you, everyone.